Dotnet Rocks episode 740 with guest John Peterson. Recorded live Wednesday, February 8th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. And uh, man, this is going to be a fired up episode, I can tell. Again? Again. Yeah, we got a chemistry going here. I don't know what it's about, but okay. Well, you know, it's this is important stuff that I think everybody needs to form an opinion on, whether it's our opinion or not. I think uh, it needs attention. Well, and every good show we've ever done led to more shows. All right. And in that light of this political kind of stuff that we're talking about, let's uh, start up the music for Better Know Framework. <laughs> Awesome. What framework is appropriate for this show? Well, you know, I, I always go out and talk about apps or, or you know, tools or things that are available on CodePlex sometimes. But mm-hmm. I wanted to bring us back to an application that Kevin McNish wrote that we talked about on the Tablet Show, which, oh, yeah. by the way, is thetabletshow.com. It's all about mobile and tablets and great stuff. And it's Richard and I. And great guests. So this, uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash iElectionDay... This uh, will bring you to iElection Day, which Kevin wrote for 99 cents. It helps get the vote out by providing in-your-hand answers on both the iPhone and iPad to key questions regarding upcoming U.S. elections, such as, who are my candidates? What are the ballot measures? Am I registered to vote? And where do I vote? Now, this whole who are the candidates thing shows you who's running and what their voting record is. Awesome. In your hand. Yeah. It's brilliant. You know, that's just information at a the push of a button that's relevant to you and your in uh, your elections. Well, and I noticed that one of the points that we made in the last show that really seemed to resonate with people was getting more uh, involved in our democracy uh, using technology. And I think Kevin's right. nailed it with I Election Day. Absolutely, for ninety nine cents, everything you need to know about the elections going on around you. Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. So, who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, so, you know, we're we're getting really good at gauging the uh, the uh, interest in a show by the sheer volume of comments. Oh, and that yeah. last SOPA show, seven thirty six, cranked out quite a few. Actually, more still coming in. We're not done yet. Yeah, but one. Of them, and I'm, I hate picking winners and losers. And, you know, I don't want to go. There's people who agreed with us, people who disagreed with us, people who are angry with us, people that are thrilled. Right. The one comment on the list that really resonated with me was John Rizzo's, referencing John Peterson, our guest, said John's quote from Steve Jobs is probably the most brilliant thing Jobs ever came up with. The one about derailing piracy by making a product easy and convenient. Years ago, I had a huge drive filled with pirated music. Once I discovered subscription services like GrooveShark, RDO, and Spotify, I was more than happy to erase every bit of my pirated music, pay a small subscription fee for access to the media, and all I want is more convenience than piracy. Yeah. Why can't media producers catch on to this? In the digital age, they're producing a product that has no supply or distribution costs, and I think they need to embrace the way that changes the supply and demand model. 
Yeah. Very and, true. You know, we know there, you know better than I do, Carl. There are costs to producing music. No two ways about it. Absolutely. But, uh, they certainly have evolved and, uh, it is an interesting truth and an important truth that I think, uh, Hollywood, the MPAA, the RA, all of them are struggling with, which is that we will pay for convenience. And when you make your product less convenient than what it takes to take it on our own course, we will take it. I just think that I don't want the the musician who is recording in his house and writing songs and producing great music and trying to just get people to, to say, hey, I want to buy that. And, you know, I don't want that guy to be hampered. Like, right. I don't want people to be ripping off that guy's music. I want you to li- go to a site, listen to a clip, say, wow, that's good. Or maybe somebody plays it for you. Or maybe you hear like a lo-fi version, you want the hi-fi version. And then you buy it. And, you know, that's that's all that musicians want. They just want to get their name out there. And they want people to listen to their stuff. And you know what? It would be great if you could actually help subsidize your rent with sales of songs. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. That's the American dream, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's there's so what I what I find fascinating what's happening here is that it used to be the the you know 0.01% success model. Most people could not make a living, you know, had to play purely for fun. Right. And there was a tiny number of folks that became fabulously wealthy. Right. And that this evolution in technology and the changes in the in culture and business model have made it a larger and larger number of people able to live from their music and fewer super mega rich. Right. And it's a meritocracy. If you're really good, more people will buy it. Right. Yeah. We'll talk to John about this. I'm coming at it from an artist's point of view where mm-hmm. I would like to get paid for my work, but I'm also coming at it from a consumer point of view, which is I would like to be able to copy my files that I buy, you right. know, somewhere without... I, w- I would like to be able to take all the stuff out of my iTunes library and copy them to my hard drive on another machine and listen to them because I paid for them. Yeah, move them yeah, somewhere else. That kind of stuff. So anyway. Let's do it. Let's talk uh, to John Peterson. But first, I need to tell you about Pluralsight. Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have nearly 200 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as those that you hear on this show. They release 8 to 10 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial where you can access their library of videos for 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let's reintroduce John Peterson. John's been a developer for about 20 years, from DBase and FoxBase Plus to FoxPro 2.0 to VB3 to Visual FoxPro, then .NET. He's written several books and spoken at developer events such as TechEd and Developer Days. In 04, he graduated from the Rutgers University School of Law with a Juris Doctor degree. Although he never completely stopped, several years ago, he returned to software development on a full-time basis. Today, John is writing for Code Magazine again and is active on the MSDN forums. He actively participates in the Philly SQL Server, .NET, AltNet, and XAML user groups. Welcome back, John. Hey, great to be back, guys. This is getting to be a habit. It's only been yeah. a couple of weeks, man. Well, you know, this this whole thing was prompted by another one of the comments on that show, which basically said, you guys are naive, and pointed us to a bill that uh, 
or not a bill, a, a treaty that, that has been created in secret by governments all over the world that makes SOPA look like a slap on the wrist. Well, we had, um, it, it was a, when we were, we were talking about planning up the show and that comment, one of, I sort of made a, I made a side comment at the last show and about sources of law and things like that. And I had said about, well, there are treaties, you know, that's another source of intellectual property law. It's one that a lot of folks are not very familiar with. And it actually turned out to be pretty, uh, pretty spot on here in yeah. terms of the uh, ACTA and, and some of these uh, secret treaties that are being negotiated. But if you guys don't mind, I'd like to just, can I just comment real quick on the introduction you guys are talking back and forth mm. about artists and a lot of what we're seeing today, all these initiatives are, 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 are instigated by the rights holders. Now they're right. not necessarily the creators and oftentimes they're not the creators of the work. That's right. And the, the and, people who own the publishing percentages. Right. And you know, Richard, Richard's point about technology uh, and, and from your perspective too, Carl, you know, is with all the technology that's there, the, the, the big mammoth publishing houses and the publishers out there, they're scared. Sure. Uh, because now there is so much out there that basically says, Hey, Carl, you wrote this really killer song. You've put together this album. You don't have to go to a big publishing house. You can do it yourself. You can distri- you can distribute your own content. Right. And the beauty about it is as the creator, you get to decide, you know what? I'll uh I'll I'll give some of it away. Um right. I may selectively enforce certain things. I'll license it accordingly. Right. And the technology the technology is the big uh is the big equalizer there. And I think what it really boils down to, it is a meritocracy, but it's fairness and it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate in liberty. It's the ultimate in freedom. It is, it's really what allows you to have the American dream because it puts everybody on an equal, pretty equal playing field. Well, and the other thing that I need to say is that when you do it yourself, let's say you're a nobody and you're just starting out, it's very difficult to distribute. I mean, it takes a lot of time and effort and maybe even money to promote yourself and do it in a way that's acceptable by by the venues like Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. You know, how does one get noticed? It's sometimes you can just put a video up on YouTube or something and it's so awesome that everybody like it goes viral, but you know, those are rare. What you really are doing is cultivating personal relationships with people one at a time and then those sort of propagate and people learn your story and all of that stuff and it's a slow process and 99% of the time it goes nowhere like it's so so what i'm saying is there is value in having record companies that can take you know a guy like Ray Lamontagne who is a you know living in a shack in Maine and somebody heard a demo of it and they promoted the hell out of him and put him on radio and then they sign up gigs and stuff and and overnight he's like Rolling Stone's best songwriter of the year you know what i'm saying and he's making a lot of money and traveling all over the world it's because of the power that the record company has to get publicity out there and when you think of a label uh, you know, everybody and their brother's got a label. You know what I mean? We're, oh, I've got a, I've got a label. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean I want to be associated with your label because you're cool. It means you better be doing promotion and distribution. That's what a label should do. 
You know, if you got a recording studio, great. But if you don't, then your job is promoting and distributing. And I mean distributing, I don't, I don't mean, you know, physical copies in record stores, of right. course. I'm talking about just getting the word out, getting links to people, all of that kind of stuff. And you can do it uh, on Facebook and Twitter and that kind of stuff. But Facebook, you have to be very careful because, you know, I'm very sensitive to people just unsolicitedly sending me links and stuff. But to my real friends, I could say, you know, I'm just putting out this album. Go, go tell your friends and blah, blah, blah. And if they like it, you know, you can... You can get a few eyes on it, but it, you have to keep doing that constantly, constantly, constantly to get anywhere. So, well, to 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 that point, uh, our mutual friend, you know, we all, uh, Rob Paddock and I, we we've been working on a jQuery book, and originally we were going through a publisher. Uh, I'll leave the exact publisher out of it. People can dig around online and figure it out for themselves. But mm-hmm. you know, to the point that you were just making, Carl, about you go with these publishing companies. They're making a lot of money. Allegedly, they should be doing something for you. We had noticed in our case, it's like, what are they doing? They're not doing anything about marketing. They're not. They're not really. They're not really helping us. And we're actually signing away a lot of rights. And we finally, we actually took the somewhat unprecedented step of where we just said, you know what, we're going to fire the publisher here for basically not doing the things that we thought were appropriate or what a what a publisher should do we were confronted with the decision of well can we do this ourselves and we started looking around and we you know what the social media the people that we would want to uh buy or you know look at our book or evaluate it um we know how to get a hold of these people and then we thought well wait a second then if we feel like giving away three of the chapters we can just make that happen we have the power right Again, the technology is the great equalizer. There's options. And I think all of this and the stuff that we're going to talk about more is just symptomatic of a lot of big organizations really concerned. And these are the rights holders that are driving what's very scary, a lot of this uh, domestic policy and, as we're going to see here, some of this international trade policy as well. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. Do you ever wonder if there's a shortcut to the Windows Phone 7 marketplace? A way to get your apps there faster? In fact, there is a shortcut. It's called RAD Controls for Windows Phone. The suite from Telerik offers functionality such as animations, transitions, gauges, and much more that you don't need to write yourself. Another asset of the suite is the fastest list box control available anywhere. And being one of the most widely used controls in Windows Phone 7 applications, it's quite a serious advantage. If you care what other developers have achieved with RAD controls, you can check out their showcase section. More than 50 selected apps. Some of them, such as My Stocks and Mood Swing, are among the top-selling apps in their categories. If you haven't played with Telerik's RAD controls for Windows Phone yet, download a free trial at www.telerik.com slash phone dnr you know i didn't make the connection when we did this last time but i have since realizing that the the digital millennium copyright act the dmca sopa was basically the update for that that they're, they're just trying to take it forward but uh, this uh, acta and this whole mechanism of international treaties as a mechanism for for law enforcement without passing a law uh it's been going on a long time uh, i it 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 reminded me reading up on ACTA that 
You remember that whole discussion about going, when you were going to cross the border, the the uh, the border guards were going to go through your laptop, see if any pirated music on it. That mm-hmm. came from Acta. Yeah, and and this has been the the Acta business has been going on for several years, and the and it's important for folks to realize this started under the you know, Bush forty three Bush administration, and was readily embraced by the Obama administration. So the Obama administration could have just quashed this whole thing. So this whole notion that, oh, you know, one political party versus another, they'll they'll come out in different ways, not necessarily. Um, and we touched on some of the campaign contribution and, and the, the election finance aspects of things and where that has a, a role in this whole thing. I, I don't think it's a stretch to I think it would be extremely naive to think that that doesn't have anything to do with it. I think it has a lot to do with it. But since about 2007, uh, a lot of the folks in the legal community have really been concerned because this whole thing was negotiated in secrecy. People couldn't even get drafts to even right. review, and yeah. this has been a very concerning uh, part of it. So I want to talk about ACTA and uh, you know specifically what the problem clauses are. And uh, I, I guess just like SOPA, it is the, the biggest problem is that it's kind of broad and it has this unilateral way in which the federal governments of countries can shut down ISPs and stuff like that. And if you look in Section 5, Enforcement of Intellectual Property Rights in the Digital Environment, and by the way, I'll have a link to this. This is in uh, www.mofa.go.jp, which is the Japanese website that leaked it. Um, or one of them anyway. So Article 27, Enforcement in the Digital Environment, if you go down to Paragraph 4, it says, A party may provide, in accordance with its laws and regulations, which is a big whopper, its competent authorities with the authority to order an online service provider to disclose expeditiously to a right holder information sufficient to identify a subscriber whose account was il- allegedly used for infringement where that right holder has filed a legally sufficient claim of trademark or copyright or related rights infringement, and where such information is being sought for the purpose of protecting or enforcing those rights. These procedures shall be implemented in a manner that avoids the creation of barriers to legitimate activity, including electronic commerce, and, consistent with that party's law, preserves fundamental principles such as freedom of expression, fair process, and privacy. So... I'm I'm reading in there that yeah the uh authorities will have the ability to get information to identify people you know based on their IP address and their sign up information or whatever and that can be given to authorities but there's a lot of language in there that says that it uh, it's got to be consistent with that party's law preserving principles such as freedom of expression fair process and privacy. So Right. So that shouldn't be too bad, right? <laughs> well, how can you provide um you know information about your subscribers and still respect their privacy? Well, the question is what information would you be providing? This gets back to the discussions that we were having about SOPA. It's to identify sufficient to identify a subscriber whose account was used. Yeah. So it's identification. Right, so sufficient to identify, and what are the steps that you would go through? The provision that you read is a framework, so it's important to understand for folks that 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 itself is not law. Each signatory country would have to enact something that was consistent with that. 
Right. In accordance with its laws and regulations. Right. right. So today, if a court, you know, a court can go to a provider and with, with the appropriate, with, with the appropriate subpoena authority could go to a provider and get information today if they needed to. There's right. a crime committed. I mean, there are mechanisms already to do that. This has already been successfully done. Uh, it's Comcast has to respond to these things. Verizon has to respond to these things right. when they work their way through the proper channels. So in that regard, there is nothing new um, about that uh, mechanism. The difference with this is that you're getting a lot of different countries to agree on the same thing. So there's some reciprocity so that there's one set of there's one legal framework out there. Because isn't that been part of the problem? It's like, well, as a business yeah. person, I want to license my software. Or I want to do business in another country. Yeah. But you know what? The problem is there's no framework. So right. what are my remedies? Where's my safe harbor? Right. So, I mean, Pirate Bay is the big example. And this is probably one of – Pirate Bay is probably one of the reasons why this stuff exists in the first place. Because they uh -huh. circumvented the law by, by having their website on an island in Antigua or someplace or wherever it is. You know, right. it's in the middle of nowhere in no country. So, therefore, it's not – you know, it's exactly what we're talking about. They They – did everything that they could to circumvent the law. And today you can go to Pirate Bay and download just about anything that you could buy for free, you know. And, uh, and yeah, that's to me, that's a problem. I think that's a problem. Sure, sure. But you know what? Let me ask you this question Is it really difficult to stop them? Apparently so. Cause they've been. Is it tech? Now, take your, take, Put your technology hat on for a second. I mean, Pirate Bay, ultimately, that domain, it has to resolve to something. I mean, if, if somebody wants to hard enough to, to shut them down, couldn't they do it? Well, if you know, it's, a matter, it's not a matter of how, but it's a matter of legality. And apparently right. they've done, you know, they've gotten around the laws so well that, uh, that they're legal. But these were the provisions that we're, we were seeing in SOPA, right? Was right. let's start using the technology to defeat these guys externally. We can't uh, deal with their sovereignty, right? We can't get on the island. We don't particularly want to bomb it. Right. So let's just make it unavailable. Let's make the rest of the internet enforce no access. And that's why treaties are important, right? So we're actually, what we're really doing here is we're really making the argument for why treaties and intellectual property uh, provisions in, tr in these trade agreements are extremely important. I don't think anyone would really debate that. I, I think the real question is the secrecy and the lack of transparency. Yeah. If it's me, I want the world to know this. Hey, everybody, you're doing this. We want to put you on notice. This is exact. We're coming after you, and this is what we're planning to yeah. do. Um Why the secrecy, I don't understand. John, it sounds kind of like SOPA was the... U.S. law uh, that was, you know, supposed to enforce ACTA for the United States in that every country then was to create their own laws that reflect that. So SOPA, PIPA being the U.S. version. And in, in Canada, we have a bill called Bill C-11. We don't have as cool names as you guys, but right. yeah. uh, it's the same. It looks exactly the same thing. Right. Well, I would I would argue that at this point we probably have enough laws on the books to based on the provisions of what uh, of what ACTA would require um, 
because there's so much wiggle room. It's like, look, consistent with your laws. If you can, in a general framework, to identify people, well, you can identify people. And if there's due process, so this really gets back to the same discussion we were having about SOPA. It's like, you know what? SOPA itself was not so objectionable. It's if if there was due process and you had an opportunity to at least be heard in court and that some of the actions weren't so draconian right. that someone could just shut you down. Right. That's the important part. And, and in that regard, I don't see anything I don't see anything really being all that different here. Because I do think a international legal framework is important. It has to be there, but again, it gets about education and lack and, and more transparency on the process. But as as we're discovering here, this ACTA is an agreement to create laws and enforce them. It's not the law itself. That's correct. So That's the correct. law itself was SOPA PIPA, which, by the way, is dead now, but is probably coming back in another form. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the sly, maybe not, but it's going to have to come back, right? To some degree. To, uh, to, to some degree. I mean, I think that some would argue that we really have – it's like the gun laws, right? It's like, you know, why do we need more gun laws? We got we, – we, we, we have – if people would just enforce the laws that are out there – uh, Richard brought this up a while ago, you know, in terms of the DMCA, you know, there's yeah. a lot of provisions in there. Start with what we have, fill in the missing gaps, but above all, make it transparent, get industry professionals involved because I truly believe, I think all of us agree that most people, especially in our business, want to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, the other thing is about this is it's not unprecedented, we have obviously physical embargoes of certain countries that are behaving in ways that the, the, a significant portion of the world thinks is inappropriate. And we've even got digital embargoes. Look at how we're treating spammers these days. Yeah. You know, the whole concept of blacklisting spam sites and of, uh, of blocking routing for, for spam servers. You know, this exactly what you want to apply, uh, to a piracy site. And that that goes right that goes right to Lawrence Lessig's book, Professor Lessig's book about code and other laws of cyberspace. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the word code is used in a, in sort of a it's a metaphorical aspect of laws as being code, but also computer code, you know, programs that we write. And the idea is that there are communities out there, there are norms, uh, eBay, Amazon. You care about your online reputation. If you're and you are going to do things to safeguard your reputation, and if you sold something online and somebody wasn't happy, the speed with which they can trash your reputation, you have incentives yeah. to remediate the situation and do the right thing. Now, as a formally practicing attorney, I'd be the first one to tell you. You don't need laws. They're in unofficial laws. They're the laws of society. They're right. the, they're they're about doing the right thing. And 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 I guess to some degree that makes me a kind of a market driven guy. The market making things easier to use. The good stuff will float to the top. The crap will float to the bottom. It's a pure meritocracy. And I do believe in a lot of times, most often things will shake out to work out the right way. Which is why I think. Having governmental bureaucrats trying to craft laws for some of this is just so misguided, which is why you have to have industry professionals at the table to say, look, you're making this way too complicated. There's a lot easier ways to do this. 
Well, Richard, you know what time it is. Uh, it's that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection and a Nimble Pros 2012 Software Craftsmanship Calendar to a lucky fan club member. This is the .NET Rocks fan club. And today's winner is Dwayne Bordreau from Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. Wow. Congratulations. Golf clap for you. One of yours. Yeah. And... uh we're going to send you a Telerik Ultimate Collection, and um, congratulations. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .nerocks.com slash fanpage.aspx, and you will see uh, that we're giving away stuff on a regular basis, not just Ultimate Collections from Telerik, $8,000 worth of software, but um, as we get uh, tickets to uh, trade shows and events and conferences, uh, other swag from other vendors, and every year we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology. The next one is December of this year. Indeed. Indeed. John, uh, you and I together uh, a, a week or so ago, and I think there was a conversation going on that I think supported your exact description of that. I can't remember exactly who else was in the room, but I think you were there. They were talking about the fact that someone's wife had been trying to get uh, some, te- some support done. Maybe it was a flight change or something and was getting nowhere with the airline and when the husband went on twitter and just said publicly i'm being totally stonewalled by this airline to get this change done within minutes it got done yep. yeah that's the that's the kevin that's the that's the kevin smith remedy yeah yeah oh okay, oh, okay southwest you're gonna treat me bad all right guess what i got about seven million followers so right. guess what's gonna happen now right <laughs> how interesting that when it's done in the light Goodness comes out. That's right. That That's they do point. the right thing. How about Susan G. Komen? Yeah, jeez, holy cow, what a bomb that was. Yeah, exactly, exactly to your point. Um, the more I read ACTA here, the the more I'm thinking that this is an agreement to enact laws and not the laws themselves. Right. And uh, I'm also reading Article 30 here, Transparency, which says... To promote transparency in the administration of its intellectual property rights enforcement system, each party, that's the country, shall take appropriate measures pursuant to its law and policies to publish or otherwise make available to the public information on A, procedures available under its law for enforcing intellectual property rights, its competent authorities responsible for such enforcement, and contact points available for assistance, B, relevant laws, regulations, final judicial decisions, and administrative rulings of general application pertaining to the enforcement of intellectual property rights. And C, its efforts to ensure an effective system of enforcement and protection of IP rights. So basically what this is saying is that we, all these countries, we agree to have laws on our books, enforce them, make them public, make people aware of them. But probably what that is telling me is that the the treaty came first and perhaps needed to be secret because not it's only until these laws are actually there on the books in the countries in the parties that the treaty makes any sense whatsoever right now doesn't mean anything for us because we don't have any laws in America i completely disagree with you there all right you say we have laws but obviously they're not working when you have things like pirate bay and other BitTorrent sites and other things like that completely operating without, um, you know, without any problem. But see, Pirate Bay and, and other providers, I mean, these are all beyond the reach of the U.S. government. Right. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small.
especially when you're looking at a big list like the new feature list for Active Report 6. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Grape City Power Tools. Smarter components for smarter developers. There are sites operating within America, and there are lots of people that have hoarded lots of digital content that they haven't paid for. And, you know, really the only recourse that these companies have had is to make examples out of some of them. They, they find these people and they, you know, they send them to jail or fine them a million dollars or whatever for, you know, the value of, of each of the products that they have. You know, that you've seen that go on, but what other, what other recourse do they have? Well, for, Right now, I mean, if you're the rights holders, you're gonna you're gonna make an example as much as possible when you get that golden opportunity to say, "Look what we're doing here." But to your point, Carl, that I somewhat disagree with. I don't think any of that had to be done in secret. I think it was done in secret for no other reason that they really wanted to keep um, some of the protesters away, keep them in the dark a bit. Yeah, that's a fair point. Now, I'm all about transparency, but I've been reading some of the commentary on ACTA, and some of it is just, quite frankly, very uninformed, just like a lot of commentary on SOPA was uninformed. And uh, at the risk of, uh, I mean, at the risk of, you know, too much controversy here, but this whole knee-jerk reaction to this being about censorship and, 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 and quashing free speech, I mean, that's just simply not true. Yeah, It's about the transparency of how this stuff is going to get out there right. and giving all stakeholders a seat at the table. And I quite honestly think that's what most people want. That's certainly my argument in this whole thing because there is no other legal framework. Now, the one to, internationally is to have a treaty, but the one thing I want to just address is there's been some constitutional issues raised about this. And, and um, so you kind of have to go back to your civics class, social studies, three branches of government, executive, legislative, judicial. Now, SOPA was squarely in the legislative aspect of things, and certainly there was transparency there, wasn't there? I mean, at least people knew what the heck was going on. People got the text of the bill. They didn't like it. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of light sh shown on that, and of course, we are where we are. Then you get into the enforcement, the who enforces the laws. Well, that's the executive branch. That's the Department of Justice. Um, but also, all all treaties are negotiated through the executive branch. Yeah. To be ratified, though, by the Senate. So there's still a checks and balance aspect of this whole thing. You know, the Senate, there's some discussion about executive agreement. And this kind of reminds me of Animal House, the little-known codicil of the Faber Constitution for double-secret probation. <laughs> gives, the dean, gives the dean unlimited power in times of campus emergency. Well, what does an executive agreement exactly mean here? And they've been used a lot in the last 60 years since World War II. Um, they're out there. 
So part of part of this from the doctrine of stare decisis, you know, we have precedent, we have it's been out there. Supreme Court will look at that and say, well, you know, it's it's out there. I mean, it's been happening. Uh, is it unconstitutional? We're going to need a bleeding plaintiff to find out the right. constitutionality of this because You're right. the Supreme Court does not give advisory opinions. There's going to have to be somebody, which is this is a reason why there's no real reason to panic here. Someone's going to actually have to be charged, prosecuted under this right. law, under this treaty, or a law that a law that uh, upholds emanates the from the treaty, right? Yeah. That it's going to have to work its way through. And we're talking years and years and years. In the meantime, the recording industry rights holders they're going to continually go after people. Right? They are they are going to disgorge identities from providers based on court orders as they've done, as they will continue to do. And this is happening every day. Mm -hmm. So our, uh, our mutual friend, Danny Diaz, who's a Microsoft DPE in Philly, he's an adjunct professor at um, Penn State Abington. Uh, I, every six months for the class that he has, I give a overview, a lecture on intellectual property, trademarks, patents, copyrights, trade secrets, and particularly how it relates into business and, and technology. Uh, so I talked about the DMCA and I talked about – this was something that came up at our last conversation on this whole reverse class action where one plaintiff and multiple unnamed defendants. Uh, so this undergraduate comes up to me after the lecture. He goes, uh, yeah, I'm actually one of those unnamed defendants. Actually, my parents are because they are the ones that have the account. I was downloading music. We're, we have a lawyer uh, right now that we're trying to – it's like $2,500, $3,000. There's, they're getting sued. So I came face-to-face -face with this kid. This kid was really scared and everything and was worried about what was going to happen. He asked me what to do. I said, uh, you got a lawyer? Yeah, well, probably pay the fine I mean, because it's not going to go away. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. Do, do what your lawyer tells you to do. But the, what, it, what it said to me is oh, – there you go. I was in a room. Maybe three years ago, nobody would come up to me and have that and have that story. Now, it, it, I come face to face with somebody who's actually living that, and that's happening more and more in every day. So, I think it's very important. The most valuable service this show could serve is this is already happening. Let's separate the hyperbole from the facts, and. Yeah. Not just say, oh, yeah, you know, this is really bad. Any form of regulation, that's bad. You're, you're infringing on my rights. Right. Uh, absolutely not. You know, and I think this is where people have to be educated and get engaged. I still say that is the number one piece of advice. So here's the thing to watch out for. Watch for them because, you know, that obviously we're under a treaty now that we have to enact laws to, to uh, further criminalize uh, IP theft. So be on the lookout for the next bill that comes up. And get, read it, get involved, find your lawyer friends, we'll find it, we'll dissect it here and learn how it affects you. Because as a website owner, you uh, may be um, in danger of being shut down if it's too broad. So you need to, we need to dissect whatever's coming up next and we'll be watching for it. Well, John, thanks very much once again for... Uh, clearing up uh, what's what's going on here and keeping us all abreast of the new changes 
in all this. There'll be more to come down the pike, but thank you, uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. And let's keep the discussion going online at .netrocks.com, and we'll see you next time on .net Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, PluralSight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .net Rocks and other experts in the field. PluralSight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.